Father in heaven, as we have heard this morning, you have a perfect way. May our hearts be surrendered to the leading and guiding of your spirit. As we open your word this morning, we pray that you would guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So this may surprise you, but I lived in heaven. A few years ago, I lived in Moab, Utah. It's as close to heaven as you can get here on this planet. How many of you have been to Moab? Far too few. Maybe after I tell you my story, you'll be tempted to go. But about 20 minutes from where I lived, there was a park called Arches National Park. And in this park, there's over 2,000 natural sandstone arches there, freestanding arches. Beautiful. And a state symbol is the delicate arch. It's very impressive. So if you ever go to Arches Park, there's two ways you can see it. One, you can drive from a distance and look at it from afar. It's not worth it. The other is you can park at a parking lot, hike about a mile and a half over rough terrain, and you arrive at the base of Delicate Arch. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can just be impressed at its immenseness. This huge arch just standing there. A friend of mine came to visit me, Stephen Leach, and I assured him that I would take him to see the Delicate Arch. So we didn't go from afar. We went for the real experience. We parked in the parking lot. We hiked along the trail. At first, it deceives you because the path has, has a gravel spread on it. There's little retaining walls giving you the idea that this is a well-manicured trail. But about a half a mile in, that disappears. It becomes just rough rock that you maneuver your way. And the only way that you know you're on the right path is there's these little stacks of rocks. We call them cairns, little stacks of rocks. And you follow those. And then the black marks from people's feet as they, thousands of visitors have gone there to see it. So Steve and I went there. We, we parked in the parking lot, and the parking lot was full. In fact, there was two buses there that had brought tourists to see the Delicate Arch. It's a common thing. A lot of buses come through, and tourists will go back and see. So we arrived back at Delicate Arch, and the sun was shining. It's a beautiful blue day, typical for heaven, I mean Moab. And while we were there enjoying it, there was many people up. They had their tripods. They were taking pictures. Families were standing in front of the arch getting their picture taken. They were just having a wonderful day. But I noticed something that I had never seen before off in the distance. The sky was tan. Now, I live in Tennessee. I've never seen a tan skyline before. Now, if it had been black, I would have, been known, I would have known a storm was brewing. But I thought, well, that's interesting. Tan. How many of you know what I saw? My wife knows, a few of you, okay. Most of you don't know what I saw. <laughs> you live in Tennessee, obviously. <laughs> Tan, wow. So we just were enjoying ourselves, as were the rest of the tourists, not knowing what was soon to come upon us. A little bit later, the breeze began to pick up. It felt nice, it was kind of hot out. And we were enjoying ourselves, there's lots to do there. There's a, a large bowl that's in front of the arch, and you can climb around and down and get different perspectives of it. Uh, you can go right beside it. You can go around. There's a cliff on the other side of it, so you can't go that way. Uh, but you can just really enjoy it from a number of directions. And we were doing that, as were ev everyone else. But then the wind began to pick up even more and began to blow stiffly. I felt a few drops of rain. I thought, well, that's strange. There's no clouds overhead. But the tan was getting closer. 
And then the wind hit us like a gale. And we began to get pelted with sand. And I realized what the tan was that I saw. It was a sandstorm. It was dirt in the, in the sky. And it was coming at us with like a, a beach, but vert- you know, horizontally, just wah. And it was mixed with rain. And I tell you, I have never felt such pain all over my body just being pelted with the sand and rain. So we, like everyone else, quickly got on the trail and began making our mile and a half journey back. As we went around the back side of this one cliff section that was near the delicate arch, I noticed something. Just up the cliff, just a little ways, there was this divot in the rock. And if you maneuvered your way carefully up there, you could get inside of it. So Stephen and I clambered our way up there and we hunkered back in this little divot in the rock while the sand was pounding and we saw the tourists going by with their children the really expensive DSLR cameras hunkered down in the storm. In the midst of this peltering storm, we found a safe place. It was in the rock. It was a little carved spot in the rock. And it didn't matter how hard the storm beat down, we were secure. You know where I'm going, don't you? In Exodus chapter 12, you can go with me there. Exodus chapter 12, I want to talk about a safe place. There was a storm coming that was worse than a sandstorm. In fact, this storm was so terrible that thousands of lives would be lost that very night. Exodus 12, a safe place. God had given them the remedy for this safe experience. Exodus 12. And here's the remedy in verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for every house. It wasn't a lamb for every person. It was a lamb for every house. It's interesting. The lamb that they were to choose, verse 5, says it was to be without blemish. Tell me, church, what does this lamb represent? Jesus, the Lamb of God, who had no blemish, no sin. They were to take this lamb, verse 6 says, you shall kill it in the evening. That lamb had to die. Verse 7, and you shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the house, wherein that you shall eat it. This lamb was to be killed and then partaken of. The blood was to be put where? On the side posts and the top of the door. If anyone went in through that door, they were in a safe place. It was only safe because of the blood of the lamb. As they were in there, we're told in verse 8, and they shall eat of the flesh in that night, um, roast it with fire, unleavened bread, with bitter herbs shall they eat it. They were to eat the flesh that night. They weren't safe just because they went in there. They had to experience that lamb in their life. It had to come inside of them. Every person had to eat the flesh of the lamb and eat the unleavened bread. Verse 10, and you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remains in the morning shall you burn with fire. So they were to eat it all that night. But let's just say it was a small family. They couldn't eat all the lamb. 
The next morning, they were to offer it as a sacrifice. They were to burn it to God. It was to be consumed. And verse 11 tells us something interesting about their state as they were there. It says, and thus shall you eat it with your your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, the staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They were to be dressed, ready to go. As soon as the Lord said it's time, they were to step out. Now I think there's some eternal applications in the story. We are no longer to keep the Passover because the Passover represents the experience of salvation that we are to have. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so this points to the work that Jesus is doing in our life. What are the eternal applications that we can see in this story? Well, first of all, every person in the house had to eat the lamb. They had to experience it. Now, Jesus says, if you eat my flesh, you have life. Now, he was talking about his words, right? The unleavened bread church represents what? It represents Jesus as well. It represents the word of God, untainted, pure, holy, God's word. We partake of God's word. It isn't enough to have the Bible sitting on the table. It isn't enough to have the books on the shelf. We have to partake them. It has to become a part of our experience. It has to come inside of us. It has to make us Jesus. Jesus wants to live in us. It doesn't make us Jesus, but it, <laughs> he wants to live in us, have his experience. Now, they were to be clothed, ready to go. Their clothing was such that it represented a statement of faith. They were dressed in such a way that they represented, they were dressing not for fashion, but for function. <laughs> they were, <laughs> I didn't get any amens out of that one. That's okay. It's okay. I'm a guy. I get it. But I do have five daughters, so I get it a little bit. Um, they were dressing in such a way that it represented the faith they had in God. Okay, a couple of amens. All right. All right. Let me try it one more time. I'll come from this side. They were dressing in such a way that it represented that wherever God called them to go, they were ready. Aha, hallelujah. The staff was in their hand. They were expecting to go to another place, and their clothing reflected that. I'm dwelling too much time on this. I didn't mean to spend that much time on their clothing. However, their clothing reflected the fact that they were in anticipation of God doing something in their life. They were in a building that was covered with the blood of God, covered with the blood of lamb. They were partaking of the lamb in their life. They were expectant of God's power in their life. They were in a safe place. That very night, a storm came in which thousands and thousands of people died, but they had not been covered by the blood. They were not inside a house that was partaking of the word of God and was not experiencing the life of Jesus in their home. Now we're talking about family worship. That's our sermon title today. I want to talk to you about a, a family that experienced worship in Genesis 22. Abraham had been told to take his son Isaac and take him to a mountain, and there he was to sacrifice him. And on the way three days in, he told the servants, stay here, Genesis 22, and verse um, 
5, stay here. Uh, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham knew what it meant to worship. He was a man that knew. Worship was not a feeling. It was not an ecstasy. He wasn't flopping around on the ground. He said, the lad, yeah, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship. Worship is obedience and sacrifice. Abraham was obeying and he was sacrificing his dearest possession. This is worship. And so Isaac knew all about worship because his family had done it in their home day after day after day. And so Abraham gathered the things necessary for worship. He took wood, a burnt offering, and he laid it upon his son Isaac, and he took fire in his hand and a knife, and they went together, the both of them. Now Isaac had a moment when he realized there's something missing. How would he know something was missing if he hadn't participated in it before? It was that before experience that gives us an insight into the fact they had regular worship in their home. Their worship had to do with a lamb, with a sacrifice, with an offering, with blood. They had worship. So verse 7. Um, and Isaac said to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering. Isaac knew about worship because his family, his father had done it in their home year after year after year. He knew about worship. His life was spared that very day because of the blood of a sacrifice. Genesis 18, verse 19. God says, for I know Abraham that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Abraham taught his family in the way of God. It was a safe place from the storm that was outside because of the sacrifices and the teaching that was happening in his home. Deuteronomy chapter six talks to us about a teaching. It tells us, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7, you shall teach these commandments diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you wake up. Abraham had worship in the evening. He had worship in the morning. And this worship made a profound impact in Isaac's life. Now I have something unusual for you today. I'm so excited, I can hardly wait. We have several different panels that are gonna come up here and talk about family worship in their home from different perspectives. So we have children and youth are in one of the panels. We have a panel with parents, with children, they're in another panel. We have young adults who don't have children yet. And then we have those whose children have grown up, their perspective. These are just really short, but just to give us a window into the experience of others. When you hear of how others do things, it may spark some idea in your mind. Oh, I'd like to try that. Oh, I find that interesting. I am never going to do that. We can always learn something, right? So I'm really excited. Rachel Nelson has a panel of youth and children. They're gonna come up here and we have their seats ready for them. Here you go. All right, guys, come on up here in the front and just sit right up here. We have some seats for you there.
Thank you. Let's um, maybe have one of the mics over on that side. Thank you all for being willing to participate. Do you mind just briefly introducing yourselves, saying your name? Uh, I'm Christian. Zoe. Amy. I'm Lissielli. I'm Justin. I'm Michael. Giovanni. All right. So I just have a few questions for you all, and I'm going to step out of the way because um, it's my understanding. Does your family do family worship? Yes. Yeah. Or you wouldn't be up here, right? All right. Um, any one of you, how does your family make family worship a priority? Go ahead, Christian. Uh, it's kind of a routine, mm-hmm. you know. It, you you end up. It's just something you do. You know, it's in the morning, it's in the evening. It's it's, it's a, um, yeah, I guess it's just part of your day. Good. So it's just part of your day, something you just do automatically. Yeah, a habit. A habit. Oh, I like that word, habit. Good. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, just a routine. Routine. So it's just something you just do, kind of like eating breakfast and going, brushing your teeth. Habit. Good. Um, what do you like best about family worship? We get to spend time together. Oh, I like that. You get to I spend like re- um, I like you reading the Bible. You like reading the Bible? Good. Spending time together. Um, one thing we do on Friday is we go back through our week and like talk about blessings we received or like mm. things we happened. That's great. On Friday, we do charades or Pictionary mm. or something else. That's great. Thank you. On right. Saturday, we do charades. Nice. So lots of things you like. Has your ev- family ever tried something that you didn't like, and why? Uh, probably mine would be, you know, some, uh, maybe a devotional that wasn't quite, we didn't find it as applicable or mm-hmm. maybe relatable or whatever. Uh, I'd say nothing, I can't really think of anything specific other than that. It's just okay. something that you're like, you don't connect with as well. Well, sometimes I didn't really understand it. Okay, so maybe you didn't understand it. Whoops. So we started reading The Desire of Ages, but it got too long for us, so we started listening to it. Okay. Good. All right. How long is your family worship? 10 to 15 minutes. 10 to 15 minutes? Uh, 10 to 20, sometimes 30 minutes. Okay. Sometimes if we're in a hurry, maybe five five minutes, okay? <laughs> All right, we're in the car. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, 10 to 15 minutes. Okay, good. It's anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes. It's yeah. more like, it, it, you know, in the evening you might get talking about something yeah. and you're like an hour <laughs> later. That's great. Probably Sometimes 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes? Sometimes when... um. Grandpa and Grandma are here. Sometimes Grandpa gets talking with Daddy, and then it, it sh- we have to we have to um, wait and wait and wait for family worship. Yeah, sometimes it can be a little longer. You're right. Okay. Um, alrighty. When do you all do family worship? I know you you kind of answered that question earlier, but when do you do family worship? In the morning and evening. In the morning and evening. Morning and evening. Okay. Morning and evening, and um, sometimes we would do like read um, some scripture or something in the um, uh, noon. Oh, I like that. So you would do something in the mi- middle too. That's great. All right. 
What are some things, I know we've kind of already alluded to this, but what are some things you do for family worship? Right now we're reading through the messages to young people. Um, reading the Bible. Okay. Reading the Bible. What are some of the things that you do for family worship? Uh, sometimes we do charades, we read the Bible, we watch Matthew, like the book of Matthew, we watch it on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, well, we listen in the morning, we, um, we listen to dramatized book, uh, book of the Bible, and dramatized, not like, it's word for word, but Good. Thank you. Uh, we're, we read um, The Faith I Live By in the morning and another devotional in the evening, but I can't remember the name. But yeah. So Faith I Live By. That's a nice devotional book. Yeah. Yeah, often it would be centered around, centered around a devotional. So you have your devotional and you're reading that and then you see something else and you start talking about that or it may relate to your week or your day. Um, it's normally centered around a devotional. Mm-hmm. That's great. Anybody, and you said you read a scripture at noon, right? Um, right now we're reading um, You Shall Receive Power. And sometimes we do songs or um, share things. That's great. Thank you. Oh, Amy, you had one more? What's the question again? What do you do? What are some things your family does yeah, for family worship? Yeah, we're memorizing hymns during worship. Yeah, memorizing hymns. We sing and memorize hymns, too. That's great. And sometimes we talk about, oh, well, we all pray, and um, we talk about what, whatever, whatever we did was about. We memorize hymns um, one week, and then the next week we do a new hymn. Okay, great. Yeah, it alternates between different things. And we all get to choose the hymn. All yeah, right. Do you have any thoughts about family worship that you would like to share with the church to encourage other people to have family worship? Make sure God is the center of it. Very good, thank you. Anyone else? I guess just pick a devotional that everyone enjoys and understands if you're reading a devotional. I guess I would say that. Good. Yeah, I'd say both of those. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. But yeah, would be. Okay. All right, thank you all very much. I appreciate your time. Hey, man, I'd like to invite our next panel out. This is a panel of parents. Now that, that uh, some of the children are, did you enjoy that? It's nice to hear what the kids have to say and think, the young people, and uh, hear what they have to say about worship in their home. So I'd like to invite this is, uh, those parents who have children at home and uh, can give us some of the insight into what they do. Doug has prepared some questions for us. You've got a microphone there, and then that's for you. Yeah. Well, as our panel is coming up, I feel like Rachel had a very risky yes. and unpredictable panel. So you never know what kids are going to say. So hopefully we'll see what happens. This panel may be risky too, I don't know. Um, So when I was growing up, I grew up in an Adventist household. We always had a devotional that we read in the morning, but for some reason we never had family worship in the evenings, except on Fridays. And my wife was on the opposite end of that continuum. They had a very structured worship in the morning and in the evening without a lot of variation. And so when we came together, it was kind of a challenge to find what worked for us as a family, and over the years, we've tried various different things. So I'm excited to learn from these parents and see what their experiences have been. Uh, Let's go ahead and have everyone just say your name and then uh, 
the number of children you have and their ages. Uh, Edward Witt, uh, three children, uh, 12, 10, and 6. I'm Eric. I'm the one who talks a long time. <laughs> and my kids are 9 and 7. I'm Carla. I have four children uh, between the ages of 14 and 26, because even after they move out of the home, they're still your kids, and you're still mentoring them. That's right. I'm Hilda Lisa, and I have two children, ages 13 and 11. I'm Beatrice, and I have two children, um, 21 and 17. All right, great. Thank you. So hopefully you all have had uh, family worships over a period of time in your houses, your households. How have your worships changed as your children have grown? Um, and it has changed because now they are able to be more involved and have a say-so. Um, of course, in the past, it was what Dad and I decided we were going to do for worship. But now they're, they say, well, we don't want to do this. We'd rather do that. And so they, they are more involved. They have more of a say-so. Um, well, when you're dealing with little children, you know, it's more about the story. Mm -hmm. Do they even understand the story or remember the story or remember a memory verse? But as the children get older, you then move on to more application. And what does that mean for them? And how is God speaking to them uh, specifically when we're having worship? Uh, I think the resource that you use changes. Um, certainly when my kids were very small, we started with those little red, I wrote it down because I, I don't even know what they're called, My Bible Friend, you know, the, yeah. I think it's six or eight books or whatever that go through the whole Bible, and with they're two very, very basic. Two stories in each book, I think. Exactly. Right. Um, and then we went on to the blue Maxwell Bible story books that go, there's 10 of them, they go through the whole Bible. And then there's a shortened Conflict of the Ages series that we went through. And so as the kids are getting older, you're just changing the resources that you're using with them. So when um, my kids were growing up, you know, we homeschooled, so I had a little more time. Mm -hmm. um, I really did dedicate time for them, especially in the morning. If we were talking about creation and flowers, I would take them outside, and we would get under the, the tree and look at the you know, flowers and the birds and things like that. So the preparation was more. I had to plan. Uh, when they got bigger, um, yes, we did, you know, trying to take the child to think of the, of the concrete, what they knew, to the abstract, something that they don't see. So you have to use, you know, felts and pictures and stories and dramatize and hand motions and whatever. But now, you know, when they get bigger, you, you try to go deeper into the word, make it their own. Mm -hmm. I even, now that my kids are big, um, have shortened, you know, the time being together as a family and actually wanted them to have more personal devotion. And, you know, we pray, we sing, and. That's how it's changed. <laughs> All right. Great. So I came across a couple of quotes from Child Guidance, which I, I found really interesting. And Ellen White wrote that family worship should be intensely interesting. And in two or three paragraphs, she uses the words intensely and interesting many times. So she wrote that family worship should be intensely interesting and the sweetest and most helpful hour of the day. How do you go about making sure that your family worships are intensely interesting for your children. Um, I'll start. Uh, this is sort of a combination of the first question and the second question. Um, I've always been in the church, but uh, there was a conversion process for me about five years ago. 
Um, and through that, I came home and just, we got rid of music, we got rid of uh, DVDs, everything that I felt was separating us from God, and we replaced it with spiritual things. So in this case, it was um, non-existent going to all of a sudden, now we're having family worship, and this has changed everything. So the, the family meeting has now changed our, our family uh, dynamics completely. Uh, so to answer your second question, um, not necessarily always uh, having prepared for, for Veronica and myself, but the kids can actually do, uh, I don't know if Kip is here, if he has raised his hand, but uh, he uh, led us on to an idea called inductive Bible study, and we passed this on to the kids, and now the kids are preparing for family worship, and they're coming out with ideas, you know, why, you know, what would you be, you know, how would you feel like if you were blind for 38 years, or if, you know, if you were an outcast, or, you know, think about blind Bartimaeus, he's the longest name in the Bible, but yet he didn't have a name, he was blind, and he was the son of Timaeus, so it's little questions like that, they're asking us, and it's, it's really getting them involved and excited about family worship, and so I think that's a huge part, is not taking the lead all the time, and letting your kids take over. Um, yes, I, along with that, we, um, we make sure that we diversify. I have two di very different learners in my children, and I have to think on how I can reach each of them, because what would intensely interest one might not be as mm -hmm. successful with the other. So we, we vary it to be able to reach both of them, and... Um, Again, having them involved, um, Noelani likes to tell Bible stories, and it might be the same two Bible stories that she loves, but she feels that she's part of it and she's actually directing um, the, the worship. Um, so being, having them take charge and ownership of that, um, and also just the fact of coming together, that makes it really special, because through the day we're running around and everybody's separate going their own way. Right. So it makes it um, very unifying to be together at the end of the day. Um, I don't know about uh, exciting for the kids, but intensely interesting. Uh, it's intensely interesting for me. As my kids mentioned, we're going through messages to young people right now. And one thing that I did when I was studying uh, these things and I'm trying to help my children learn to do is really personalize it. And you can do this with the Bible or other inspired writings. So we're on chapter 137 now, and um, this is how it would go. Amy and Michael should be taught that they are not independent atoms. In no department, and you know, you just, you put their names into it, and that applies not only to the children, but also to parents sure. who have a lot of instruction in here. And then of course, on Friday night, I think a lot of the kids mentioned, we want Sabbath to be exciting, so Friday night is different. We do charades or games or Pictionary, mm -hmm. other things that they choose. So everything they have said right now, it doesn't happen by chance. You have to plan it. Right. And when you plan it and you start talking, giving the devotion or talking about something, you have to talk from the heart. Because mm -hmm. if you're going to read or almost fall asleep, they're going to say you're, what you're telling me you, it doesn't even make sense to you. But if you say it from the heart, you really live it and are excited of it, they'll pay attention. It'll be interesting. And they can sense if you are genuine and sharing a real experience with them. Right, so all these things, diversify, ap apply, make it applicable. What's applicable to your 14-year-old is different than what's applicable to your 20-year-old, so sometimes you have to vary it for sure. But I think one of the most important things that, that makes family worship the sweetest time of all is that 
you have to create an attitude and a mindset of why we worship. Mm -hmm. Because if the mindset is about checking the box to say, oh, I was a good Adventist day, I did my morning and afternoon devotional, check the box, then you're missing the point. And it may be something you do out of habit, but it's not a transforming experience. And what you want family worship to be is to transform you. And Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So if we instill in our children that the reason we worship is because we want to honor him, we want to worship our creator, but he is our shepherd. He wants to lead us and guide us. So this is a special date, something that you would look forward to, no different than you would look forward to seeing that special someone mm -hmm. that you want to hear from because God wants to speak to you at this time. So if you change the mindset and the attitude of why we worship, God wants to speak to you today. He's got a special message for you. He's been waiting all day to speak to you, mm -hmm. just like that girlfriend or that boyfriend. Then that time becomes so special that nobody wants to miss out because it's the time that you are actually listening to God speaking to you and guiding you in your life. All right, great. Thank you all very much. And I'll turn the time back over to Chris. Amen. Amen. Well, I thought that was very interesting to hear. I hope you picked up on a few tips or cues to use. I'd like to invite up our next panel. This is uh, those that are young adults, those who ha haven't had uh, children yet. I'd like you to come on up. Uh, when you have children, often your family worship centers around them. And uh, there's Sabbath school lesson, their memory verses, Bible stories, etc. But before that, you have a moment where uh, that isn't that way. So I uh, thought we would have this panel here and you guys can share with us ideas and thoughts about family worship uh, in your setting. All right, well, welcome. Can we uh, repeat the process that others who have gone before you have done, if you could all give your name? Okay, I'm Aisha Inneker. Brandon Cobos. Lucas Johnson. Michael Garcia. All right, you guys get first and last, very good. All right, so I have some questions for you, which I had to rework a little bit last night because for some reason I had envisioned this might be a slightly younger group, more like fresh out of college. I was actually thinking of Aaron Buttery when I originally wrote these, but alas, he is not with you. So we'll start out easy. Did you grow up in a home that had family worship? Yes. I did. All right, there is a... I grew up in a home that was pretty inconsistent about it. We were taught that worships were important and valuable, but at the same time, we let things get busy and often didn't have them. So it went mm. back and forth. Okay. Aisha, I believe you. Yes, we had family worship that varied. Um, yeah, usually morning and evening. Okay. The reason that question was um, particularly important for me is, like Lucas, it was very inconsistent in the home uh, that I grew up in, probably the closest thing that I remember in my experience is my mom would read uh, the blue book Bible story books, you know, at some point in our life, and uh, we would do that in the evening, and there was nothing in the morning. In fact, I don't remember even really cracking the Bible for myself, even inconsistently, until I was about 21 years old. 
So I'm glad to hear that many of you grew up with family worship. Do you have family worship now? Now your family dynamics can vary, but are you, are you having a family worship dynamic now in this stage of life? Yes, uh, we currently do have a dynamic. It's pretty uh, similar to those we, morning and evening, um, obviously because you know we go throughout the day, we have things to do, go to work, school. Um, but we always try to start the day off, you know, uh, whether it's a devotional uh, or something else, and obviously end the day uh, talking to God. Okay. Uh, when at our wedding, we had people highlight verses in a, in a Bible that they recommended to us. And so Rue and I in the evenings will, will read um, usually like, like the whole chapter that somebody highlights. So we're working our way slowly through the Bible. It might take a long time, but it's been really great. You guys gave us a lot of wonderful things to study. Awesome. Um, for us, I'll talk to some that maybe have like awkward schedules or different working uh, situations. Me and my wife, uh, she typically works day shift and I work night shift, so we're often passing each other on the road uh, when one's coming, one's going. Uh, so there, there are days we you know, aren't able to do family worship, and so we look forward to the days that, that does happen. Um, but with that being said, I'll say that while well, family worship, I think, is really important that if you don't have the opportunity to do that, then definitely make sure you're doing your personal worships that that's I feel like is even is really the most important is your personal and spiritual life and then when you do family worships together or just as a couple you're able to bring that together okay yeah I'm currently part of family worship so I've gone through different stages so I went to um, boarding schools and one of the boarding schools I attended didn't have dorm worships and so sometimes my roommate and I would have worship and it was just refreshing. I think we used the traditions that we'd grown up with, with worship, and it was always a good way to like, start the Sabbath. All right, well, that's good. You, if you didn't have family there, you found family and, and brought in an extended family to, to do that. Very good. All right, next question. Have you ever used technology to have family worship remotely? Um, yes, my family has personally at times used technology. Um, some of the, I guess, fondest memories are, you know, dad comes home from, you know, working in California in the hospital and he has all these inspirational stories. So it's whether it's something from Facebook or amazing facts, um, he has something, you know, obviously spiritually inclined um, that's pretty inspirational. Um, most of the time, I would say it actually works, uh, I think. Um, However, I mean, switching things up is always good, um, but I wouldn't, it's, you know, it, it can work at times, <laughs> the method can. A few years ago, we started like a Facebook messenger group for the family, so we can just kind of keep in touch. Some of my fam uh, immediate family members are Adventists, some are no longer practicing. One, um, one is kind of an atheist because he's mad at God a little bit. And mom has been wanting more and more to do worships with us more than she did when we were younger, um, um, kind of making up for lost time. And it's kind of hard when you have that situation. So she started recording um, a study from Steps to Christ and from James every morning and on Facebook Messenger, post it there. It's there if they want to listen to it. Um, so it's always right in front of them, but not so intrusive as to, you know, push them away. And every morning I get to tune in and, and listen to what my mom has to say, which is really great. Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> Aisha? Um, 
during 10 days of prayer for several years, I was living in places where I didn't have an opportunity locally to participate. So my parents and I would go over the questions and the prayers. Um, they were available online. And then we uh -huh. would pray together on the phone and sing some of the songs. So okay. that was always encouraging. Okay. I'm curious in our audience, any, any family worship FaceTimes? No? Now that we have that technology available, a few? Okay. Very good. All right. Do you have any suggestions for the local church concerning those who are in transitory stages of life? For example, going away to college or forming new families. Any suggestions? I'll just kind of reiterate what I said earlier that, you know, if you don't, may not be in a position where, you know, you know, you have your family or a family to be with having worship that, um, if the, you know, the family worship part of it is not part of your life, don't feel like you're, you know, less or something. You know, as long as you're having that personal worship, that's, I feel like, is the most important and having that personal connection. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to college uh, my first year, I tended to spend a lot of time alone in my room and, and just hanging out with just a select few people at my first year and didn't really have anything like family worships at all, except for when I occasionally called mom and she gave me some good advice. But the next time I went back to, to Southern, um, I had a different group of friends. And uh, some of them, as part of a, a school project, we kind of put together a Saturday night worship group. And my best recommendation is you get to choose your family when you're at that stage of life but you have to be really proactive about it. You have to seek out the right kind of people to have in your life um, who are gonna be a comfort to you. Um, because, you know, looking back for a few years later, you're gonna wish you had had, had those family worships, that, that time to reconnect with God because you really need it in the first years of college, especially. I just kinda wanted to springboard off of what Brandon and uh, Lucas said. Um, obviously, you know, all stages of life are important. Um, but now as I, you know, as I'm almost 20 years old, um, I kind of see now things almost from a different perspective in the sense that um, I really see how essential um, the time I, I was when I was, you know, one, two, three, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. really how important those years were uh, growing up. Because when you get to a certain, when you get at least to my age, um, you know, it becomes more, um, it's like, okay, you know, we do family worship and, you know, that's, that's just normal routine. Um, but it's also, you know, becomes more a personal decision, you know. Uh, and I think family worship is, I think, really a central part of life, uh, especially when you're growing up, when you're having your parents, you know, you know, come, okay, you guys, come, Johnny, it's time to go to worship, things like that. Um, I think it really implements in your mind. It's like, it's this routine. And for me personally, when I haven't done my work, my personal worship, it's like, I feel like the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, hey, like something's missing, you know? And it makes me feel like, you know, there's a certain amount of guilt that, hey, I, I didn't spend that time with God, whether it was, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes. And so I think, you know, if we, um, you know, if we, if we teach, you know, kids, you know, at a young age, right? Because that's, that's when we can mold them, right? Um, I think if we um, teach them that, you know, to spend, at least separate some time away, from, you know, put apart, set it aside for God, that if we set that time aside, they're going to use that um, later on in life, you know, because then when we get, you know, to this age, it's really, it's a personal choice. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, our parents and um, have helped us, you know, instruct us. Um, and I'll go back to why I said um, that, you know, if, you, if you're in that uh, transition period and, you know, not having that family, I'm not saying you should just, you know, give up and not do it. But if you do find that uh, group of friends or something, I think it is important. And uh, I will go ahead and plug in that we do have a young adult study that happens 
every other week, um, but uh, by me, uh, Lucas, others, and uh, so if you want to get involved and join us at our houses uh, twice a month, uh, see one of us, and we'll get you part of that group. Food too. Yeah, there's there's food. All right. So how young do we have to be? <laughs> Did you want to add anything, Aisha? Okay. Do we have time for one more? Yeah. We have the pastoral approval. Do you have a brief fond memory of family worship you would like to share from when you were younger? One of my favorite parts about worship, I would say even now, is recounting blessings from the past week or even the past 24 hours, things that God specifically did that surprised you or answers to prayer. It's always um, inspiring to hear All right. go around the circle. Um, not so much when I was younger, but it was just uh, interesting was that when we, when we, me and my wife first got married and we were on our uh, honeymoon, the first uh, morning when we woke up, it was this, like, I looked at her, she looked at me, and she's like, let's do worship. Like, it's time for worship. And it wasn't like we didn't have to talk about it. We didn't mm -hmm. have to come and plan. It just was, like, an obvious thing to do the that morning. Awesome. When I was uh, around seventh or eighth grade, my mom had a kind of a bigger eye-opening experience with God. Um, she was a single mother of five at the time and uh, trying to put us through Adventist school and while going through school herself. And it, it was a rough time, but she really taught us the meaning of faith in those worships because she would be honest with us about the problems of, you know, maybe we didn't have money for groceries or something like that, but she would claim a promise there in worship that, that God was going to come through for us. And then when he did, um, she'd have us get down and pray and thank him. And it, we know what faith is today because of the family worships we had with mom. Wow. Yeah, um, so growing up, um, obviously, my, well, my family's Latino, so um, worship gets kind of lively sometimes. <laughs> and so um, growing up, you know, being in the Spanish church, things like that, you know, at times, it was, it was a great experience, but uh, specifically Friday nights, um, even, you know, even now, we kind of carry that tradition. Um, a lot of times, you know, the songs we sing, uh, we'll sing a lot, because <laughs> it's Friday night, right? What else are we going to do? We don't have to go to work the next day. Um, and so we take that time, and um, you know, we, we just sing a bunch of songs, you know, I can remember my dad just tearing up the piano, um, just going at it, um, but it's just a great time because uh, worshiping God together as a family, uh, we're happy, um, and that's just, you know, something that's kind of carried over even now uh, to my age. All right, well, thank you all. I'd like to invite up our next panelist, our last panel, and it's been really interesting to me to hear every perspective from the different uh, age groups and stages of life, and uh, this uh, panel here I'm particularly interested in for the uh, the years of wisdom they have and insight that they can uh, share with us. Come on right up here. Here's an extra extra microphone for you guys. There's three microphones here. Okay, so this is it. These are the ones, yeah. Now, Phil, the other day you and I were talking and you mentioned how significant family worship was to you um, growing up. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? It was the most significant uh, part of uh, my life. It taught leadership skills. Um, I learned how to play the piano, trumpet, and harmonize because uh, we would be singing. You'd learn how to play for the family. Um, and then that, of course, went into church or school. Um, I learned how to do public reading of the Bible, the spirit of prophecy. Um, 
It taught me a huge vocabulary. My dad would explain the words as we would read through the Spirit of Prophecy, so it was very, very interesting. Um, it gave me Bible knowledge because my dad was a pastor and we were often uh, he was often away in the evening. Uh, my mom would say, don't be, um, don't feel sorry uh, for yourself. Think of all the children whose parents, whose fathers, they're not trying to save other people. They're off getting drunk. Mm. And so let's make a surprise. So we would learn, we learned through 10 Bible texts on every one of our, of our beliefs. And uh, then when my dad came uh, back then uh, for his birthday, we surprised him in, in being able to do that. Um, it, uh, it gave me a love for the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy. It taught me how to study it. And uh, that with uh, meals and meal conversations, I learned more during those times of family worship and meals than I learned from medical school, from college, from mm. academy, or elementary school. Now, times change. What we do now is quick, in a rush, in a hurry, and we have the one-minute devotional, you know. Um, so you're older than I am. When you were young, Phil has shared with us uh, some of what he did for family worship, but when you were young, uh, did you have family worship in your homes, and what was it like? And are there any traditions that were involved in family worship in those days that you think would be beneficial now, something we should revive? I can't speak to that because I was not uh, raised Adventist. Mm -hmm. I became an Adventist in my um, early 20s, middle 20s. So in my home, uh, my grandparents talked about God. Um, we were taken to church, but um, we didn't have, you know, family worship. That mm -hmm. was... Um, uh, a wonderful thing that uh, when I became an Adventist that I was made aware of. Amen. Okay. Well, in my experience, I, like my dear sister here, we were re I was raised in the Sunday church, and I was, I, they make you go to Sunday school, and that's what's about it. You have to go to Sunday school. Um, it was only when I met my husband um, at the age of 17, that was my first ex encounter, uh, introduced being an Adventist and the experience. Mm -hmm. But at the time when I, we met, you know, he was an Adventist, but I was a Sunday, but you know, we didn't have much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was a prodigal son, and my grandmother was like the, the bulwark of the family and she was always praying for us. So if you have children that are outside, keep on praying. And so here am I back again. Amen. And when I met my wife, um, I was out in the world, but when I met her, she wanted to settle down, have a family and stuff like that. So some of the old teachings that I had, train up a child the way they should go when they're old and not depart. When I met her and she wanted a settle down life, that kind of triggered back those early teachings, mm -hmm. and so I'm here. It's amazing that it came back to you that way. Sherry, what about you? Do you mind repeating the question? Yeah, the question is, when you were young, did you have family worshiping in your homes? What was it like? And any of those traditions you think would be beneficial yeah. for us to hear today that would be right. good that we brought back? We are going to discuss that a little more in another question, 
But I will say this, family worship was one of the brightest experiences of my childhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Happy, cheerful, loved it, and always looked forward to Fond it. Fond memories. Okay. Yeah. My next question is, what advice do you have for young couples who don't have children um, regarding family worship? Well, like the young man said before, make sure you have your own personal worship. But you uh, hook up with people that have children. Go with them on, uh, and have family worship with them, and they will you know, provide a lot of information for when you have your own children, how to um, go about having have family worship. One of the things, consistency, that's very important um, in the home. When, whether it's young adult or children, when they see you consistently doing stuff and you know, in, um, having that, that will bring up great part and effect and then consistency in doing what you're doing. Um, two key points, um, as already been said, family worship is no better than your personal private worship as a parent. It, that has to set the stage. And then we have to have a set time for family worship like the laws of the Medes and Persians. <laughs> And that's a memory I have from my home. And we learned uh, from both of us cannot remember a time when we didn't have family worship in our homes growing up and also in our home that we established. Um, you can't make family worship fit your schedule. You want your schedule to fit family worship. Hmm. Otherwise, you end up with a hit and mostly miss. Experience. By seeing our parents make this a priority um, every day of our lives, we both realized the importance of family worship. And for me, it was during my childhood family worships that I fell in love with Jesus. It was a deep security for me. I saw it as a very sacred time and naturally continued it as a habit not just a habit, but something I desired to continue after I left home and then, of course, after we got married. Growing up, our parents made worship short, happy times, it's been mentioned, and this is what we tried to do with our own home um, when we had children. But in order for this to happen, you have to be very intentional, and I think that's been mentioned several times. It means that you have a schedule, and you stay by that schedule. It's the anchor point, really, around which all your other activities are planned. With our fragmented society um, and our work schedules, it may not be possible for both parents to always be present for both morning and evening worship. But at least one of the two daily worship times should be with the entire family. Um, as a general rule, if you can, uh, worship is before breakfast. Mm. And in our home, worship was the first thing that happened for the family as a whole. Now, it wasn't the first thing that happened for me because uh, Phil had to be out the door by 6.50. In order to fit breakfast and worship in, that meant I was up much earlier. 
we would have uh, worship at 6 and breakfast at 6.15. Now, for some, that may seem outrageous. I did go to bed early, <laughs> and I could get up around 4 or 4.30 in the morning, have my own personal devotions. Uh, the night before, I would have done as much preparation as I could for breakfast. The table was set. The children learned to help with that. We would have uh, a crock-pot cereal. We'd have everything as ready as far as possible. So in the morning, it would only take a few minutes to finish up the work and be sitting down for worship by 6 o'clock. And we did that like the laws of the Medes and Persians. <laughs> what about you guys? Oh, for us, yeah. we, um, one of the things I could say, make it fun, uh -huh. um, make it enjoyable, where it reached to a point where the children, our two boys, they want, they lead it, the worship. They would come home and, it's, uh, especially on a Friday evening, they look forward to Friday evening. Mm -hmm. He says, oh, uh, thank God, my son, the younger one, would come home and say, I'm glad it's Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? Because I don't have to do any homework. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> so they look and they lead out by choosing the songs, the hymn, whatever. Let them lead. And they, they were always excited. One other thing that I was privileged enough that I was not able to work. And so because of that, um, because of the immigration, I was living into a country where I was not able to work. as a mom. So I get to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. So one of the jobs I did got was being a call porter. And so I got all the resources, the mm -hmm. books, the CD, the cassette, Vegetales was one of the thing with, for my children. And also the books on child guidance. Um, we used the Adventist for Home help us a lot as a young parent. And so we advocate that and incorporate, you know, follow the guidelines and the rules by, you know, the worship. So morning, evening, and especially on Friday, which is the, that, that's the time when they lead get to partake and participate and they look forward in doing that mm -hmm. now my kids are getting older I mean 15 and 16 my youngest and soon they're gonna be gone mm -hmm. my wife and I she can't wait to be an empty nester <laughs> she's giving me a dirty look <laughs> I thought that was the case maybe I read the situation wrongly um, which is not unusual but um, <laughs> Soon we're gonna, not going to have children at home anymore. So I'm thinking to the future, wondering how are we going to do family worship then? I mean, for, for decades now, we've had family worship with our children. Could you, give us, could you speak to that? Uh, how do you have family worship you know, now that your kids are older? And um, you know, how do you do it? What advice do you have for those of us that are headed that direction? Well, I would like to say we kind of started that before the children left. <laughs> Early in the mornings, uh, we had what we called pillow time, <laughs> where we would discuss either the previous day, if we hadn't had a chance to do that, or the day that was coming on. We would talk about different issues that we were, if we had concerns with the children or things that we were especially working towards. And we would pray together, uh, out loud with each other, for our children specifically. That was our time to pray for them mm. and to claim promises. And uh, we just continued that, <laughs> of course, 
Because once they're gone, as Carla said, uh, your children are always on your mind, no matter how old you get. My mother is 103, and she says, it doesn't matter how old you are, you're always praying for your children. Mm -hmm. But um, that, is, that is something I just thought I would suggest to parents out there. Uh, even before you get up and have your own devotions, spend a little time together in prayer. And we saw many powerful things happen through that experience. That's a useful advice. For Thank us, you. that was 4 a.m. <laughs> okay. Um, well, for us, what we do, we, we do the Sabbath school quarter in the morning, and there's a book that we are going through now in the afternoon. I think we got the book from this church, um, the Witnessing Book with Health. Uh, okay. Yeah, we got that book from here. We're going through that book. Amen. And I have the privilege of just working five miles, not, not five miles from my home. So I come home for lunch and we have prayer during the day. So like Daniel, three times a day. Amen. Okay. So we, we are doing that. So we are enjoying that. But I'll, I'll also like to say that to be on the more realistic side, sometimes um, it's a challenge to have worship because sometimes my wife and I, we have some very tough negotiations, another, another word for argument. And, <laughs> and so sometimes when you come to worship, everything is not resolved. But I would say be consistent and still worship, and God will work it out, even if everything is not resolved. One particular time, we were having worship when things were not all that, and I'm not a singer. And I, I was, we were singing this song. I was leading, not a singer leading. I was leading out and I hit this high note and I was off tune and she started laughing. <laughs> the arguments were over. <laughs> and I could say we live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I happen to have a very good relationship with my daughter-in-law. So from time to time, I still, whenever she calls, and she calls on a daily basis, so that gives me an opportunity. And whenever she calls, somehow the conversation, if it's an, especially if it's on a Sabbath or a Friday, I would say, oh, we're oh I'm glad you called, because we're just about to have worship. And we would have worship right there, and then the conversation, it would be worship on the phone mm -hmm. from time to time. Even when I go on vacation or I travel outside and I call home and I call my, my, my son's home and I say, hi, um, glad to hear your voice. I turn it into that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Oh, can we just have worship, you know, and you know. So every opportunity I get, whether I'm near or far in here, it doesn't matter the distance. We're developed where that every time a phone call, I turn it into that opportunity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was that question again? The question is, how do you have worship now, family worship or whatever, and you know, what advice would you have for us? Well, right now, uh, when Nova's not there, I have a very quiet and peaceful worship. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. uh, what I, I would like to say, too, is that worship, having worship, family worship, can also be a ministry of mi for missionary work. I uh, think about uh -huh. the children <coughs> that uh, I'm a foster parent. I've been I did foster parenting for many years, and that was the joy because the children that came in. I I always have more than one. At one time I had eight. Wow. 
and the joy of them singing, and they were always happy to do it, singing. They loved to go to church, even though the families they came from them were not Adventist families, but they enjoyed the time. And when I um, have my worship, I think about them often, and I pray that um, they'll remember the songs and the skits and the stories and uh, the fellowship with uh, our church family. Uh -huh. And I pray and ask the Lord to save each and every one of them, that I can mm -hmm. see them in the kingdom. Amen. So. Mm -hmm. What uh, Sherry and I are doing now is we're reading through the testimonies again, and we can do that as worship because of the uh, computer program that saves where you were, and you mm. can get back to it. Mm. And so uh, I just have the worship uh, saved, and where I stop, I save it there, and uh, then it just uh, gets me uh, uh, day and morning and evening, and we're just... Mm. Uh, having a wonderful time going through. So you're reading through, through the nine volumes of the testimonies, mm -hmm. and this is your worship together. Great. Okay. Now. It's good. Yeah. So I'd like to say one thing to the young people here mm -hmm. who haven't left home yet but will be. Mm -hmm. um, we are blessed that all of our children, even though they're grown, married, and have their own children, they call us frequently, almost daily. Mm -hmm. And they share with us their needs, their concerns. Mm -hmm. That gives us something that we pray together for. And I know from my own parents praying for me all my life until they died, my mother's still living, uh, I knew they were always praying for me and I felt the difference. If you want to have the Lord even more on your side helping you, call your parents, let them know your needs and concerns. They love you more than anybody else, I can promise you. <laughs> Amen, well thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom with us. I've gained a lot today and really appreciate it, so thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that discussion and insights from the different uh, ages and perspectives. My friend and I, Stephen, were in this rock. The storm eventually quit. We got down on the trail. The sun came out, and we made our way back to the parking lot. There was no bus. No cars were there but we had been spared because of a safe place. God wants a safe place for you, for your family. And it's inside a home that has the blood of Jesus. It's inside a home that partakes of the word of God, the lamb of God, as he fills your life. Is that what you want? Amen. Amen.